To the End is the new series we're going to start, and that, it, it might look a little intense, uh, study through the upper room discourse, sounds super f- official and fancy. Uh, basically, it is through John chapter 13 through 17 that we're going to start a series. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look at those chapters, and I'll explain more why it's called the upper room discourse in a moment. But the title of the message today is Do As I Do. Do as I do. And we're going to look at John chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 7 in this beginning of the series to the end. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, do as I do and not as I say? It's a really bad phrase, right? I hope you know it's like not a verse at all Uh, in any way. Jesus would never say, right, do as I do as I say and and not as I do. Um, he would actually say the opposite. And we're going to see today, he is saying that. Do as I do, that Jesus is our example. I love, I love that the Lord never asks us to do something that he hasn't done. Uh, he's, he's, he's like that. He's our example, and especially in Jesus. And, and you and I have been told, uh, if you've gone to church your whole life, you've been told that we are to be like Jesus, right? And it's true that we are to be like Jesus, that God's main work in our life is to make us look more like Jesus every single day. And, um, you know, maybe you're familiar with the, the bracelets or the, the t-shirts or the bumper stickers of right, what would Jesus do? WWJD. Uh, yeah, we, there you go. You got, you got the bracelet on right there. The awesome thing is, is that, you know, that's in the form of a question, what would Jesus do? But we actually know what Jesus would do. And we have it in scripture. And that's a great thing is that we know the heartbeat. We know the attitude of Jesus. And we not, might not know every situation, but we certainly know, um, you know, the heart behind what Jesus did things. And so today we're going to look at what that really looks like. But before we get into the verses, John chapter 13 to 17 in this, in this series that we're going to start today, um, I want you to make a mental note right now that this is the same scene same setting, same room, same time. That John 13 to 17, though it's five chapters, it's actually all part of the same scene. And that scene takes place at the latter end of Passion Week. Do you guys know what Passion Week is? Passion Week, we just celebrated like two months ago, right? Starts with Palm Sunday, that's Jesus riding in on a donkey, and it ends with what? Ends with Easter, right? Jesus rising from the dead. And there's a lot that happens in between that time. Well, this takes place the Thursday night, the night before, actually the night, just a few hours after this scene, Jesus will be taken away into custody. That just a few days before um, this exact time in John 13, uh, that Jesus came in on that donkey known as the triumphal entry. And things are really starting to heat up that he is really starting to tick off and make mad the religious leaders in a new way. They already don't like him, but now he's really calling them out. Uh, that you can look at the gospels and he starts calling them hypocrites. And he, you, know, you know about Jesus going to the temple, flipping tables, getting mad at people uh, with a righteous anger and, and because they were doing things not the right way. And he's really starting to make them mad so much that they're really planning and plotting now his death. And they're really, okay, how can, we, how can we do this? And they're talking about it because Jesus is just owning them. It's pretty awesome. You got to read those passages during Passion Week. But Jesus knows that his hour has come. He knows that the reason he came to earth was not just to live a life, but to actually die a death. 
and he knows that cross is coming. And that's actually the day after uh, this exact time that we have and that we're going to be looking at. And so Jesus knows that he is about to leave his disciples. How long was he with his disciples? Anyone know? No, about three years. Yeah, yeah. So he started his ministry about 30 years old. Not too long after that, he would have called the disciples and then, and then called them the, right, the 12 apostles. And he was with them for about three years until this point. And he's been with them a lot. Like it wasn't like he like saw them on weekends. It was like they lived life together. They did ministry together. But he knows, hey, I'm about to leave them. I need to prepare them. I want to have one last meal with them, specifically the Passover meal. And he wants to begin to prepare them because he knows he's going to die. He's going to raise from the dead, but then he's going to heaven. And the disciples who are used to being with Jesus are no longer going to be with Jesus. And so Jesus loves them so much he wants to prepare them. Makes sense, right? And so they get, uh, they, they kind of, they rent this place in a sense. Uh, they, they borrow it from, from uh, an owner and it's a, it's a house and there is an upper room in this house. Okay, and in the upper room, this large upper room, that's where they prepared the Passover meal. You and I know it as the Last Supper. Have you ever heard of it? Last Supper, right? That's when Jesus uh, begins to pass around the, the bread as the body that is uh, symbol as the body that's broken for him, the blood uh, or the, the, the wine as a symbol of his blood that was going to be shed for him, right? You guys are familiar? Okay. Yes, right? Uh, Last Supper. Well, that is this time. Literally, John 13 and 17 is a conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples during that time, okay? So have that in your mind. Sound good? So the outline for today is as follows. And I'm going to actually give you the three points up front. Don't write them down now. You can just write down the first one. The first one, uh, what we're going to see in our passage today is how Jesus loved the disciples. And we're going to find that in verses 1 through 3. Okay, so that's the only one you should be writing down, but I want to give you the other two so you know where we're going. Number two, we're going to see how Jesus served them. We're going to find that in verses 4 through 11. And finally, we're going to see how Jesus teaches them in verses uh, 12 through 17. Okay, so number one, Jesus loved them. And Jesus loved them, verses 1 through 3. Let's, let's pray, and then we'll read the text together, okay? Father in heaven, we're here to, to, to hear from you. We are here in this place not to hear from a man, but to hear from you. And so as we study your word, as we begin this, this series in, in this upper room and, and how the disciples are together in this last uh, setting with Jesus in this way, and, and he's got so much to share with them, and he's got so much to teach them. Lord, would you teach us? Would it be that intimate as if we were there? Lord, would you impress upon our hearts what you want for our life? We're here to listen to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. amen. Do you have your Bibles open? Yeah. All right. So we do a little something in the junior high room. If you have your Bibles open, and then I say, uh, if you have your Bibles open, say word. You're going to say word, okay? So if you, if you have your Bibles open to John 13, say word. Word. All right, verse one, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
That's our series title. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he was, had come from God and was going to God. And so we see in these first three verses, Jesus's love explained. You can kind of look at the, th- the first three verses in John 13 as the, uh, um, the setting, okay? Kind of this is the setting to which we're about to enter, okay? So you can kind of put under that point the setting. This is where we see Jesus's love explained. You see, Jesus knew his time was coming to an end. And the Bible says here that John tells us in verse one, look in your Bibles, verse one, that having loved his own who were in the world, that Jesus looked at the disciples as his own, that Jesus's love for the disciples was a possessive love. And you should write that down. It was a possessive love. And it's a possessive love that Jesus has for you and I. And this is an awesome thing. You might sound, well, that doesn't sound good. Possessive love. That That doesn't sound, it is good. Think about how a parent has a possessive love of their son or daughter, right? That is my kid. That's my child, right? Usually see it come out in sports. That's my kid. That's my child. They're doing that, right? Or or how a, a wife or husband would have a possessive love for their spouse. And that's, that's my husband. They are mine. And that's actually good. It's like, oh man, I, you know, I love when Haley tells me you're, you're mine. I'm like, that's right. No one else's. And it's a good thing. Or how about, how about for you? Maybe you're like, well, I don't have kids and I'm not married. Uh, what about your dog? You, I see a lot of people or cats. I was talking to someone about cats. Uh, <laughs> we, you might have a possessive love of your animal. You're like, man, that, yeah, that's my dog. Oh, you're, you're my dog, aren't you? Right? Except when they go to the bathroom and your mom tells you to clean up. Then it's your brother's dog, right? But right, the, the possessive love, you guys can hopefully understand that the Bible describes God's love for us And because you and I are his disciples, we're not part of the 12, but we're the ones that Jesus actually prayed for, which we'll see in John 17. And God's love for us is described as a jealous love in a good way, in a good way. Isaiah 43, one, you can just note down the verse, right? Isaiah 43, one, don't try to write out the whole thing. You'll get lost, but but read it with me. It says, but now thus says the Lord who created you and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. That that's how God looks at you. That if you're a son or daughter of God, that he looks at you with that, that he says, you're mine. Having loved his own. The Bible says that having loved his own, he loved them to the end. You guys see that in verse one? And that's where we get our series title, to the end. The, the idea behind Jesus loving his disciples to the end. Another way to put it is that he loved them to the uttermost or he loved them to the fullest extent, that he loved them completely, that he, his love was entire and, and actually was eternal. You see, this describes to us that the love that Jesus had for his disciples, that he gave them all he had. It's the idea that his love for them was without limits. And so his love for you and for me. 
There's nothing he holds back from us. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 poses the question like this. He who did not spare his own son, speaking of God, and delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's given us everything. God has held nothing back from you. He says, look, I'll give you anything because his love is not just possessive, but his love is complete. No limits. Jeremiah 31, three puts it like this, tells us that God has loved us with an everlasting love, an everlasting love. That is an amazing thing. And didn't we see this pretty clearly in the lives of the disciples? Think about just what you know about Jesus and the disciples. He poured his life into them. That Jesus could have done anything he wanted. And what did he do more than anything else? It wasn't heal people. It wasn't preach. It wasn't confront the religious authorities. It was spending time with the disciples. He showed this to him, to them. Jesus didn't just have interest in using them. Oh, they're going to build my church. No, he had interest in being with them. Do you think, let me ask you a question. Do you think the disciples knew that Jesus loved them? I think without a doubt, right? I mean, even John was like, I'm the beloved of the Lord. He, he literally says that in his own, his own gospel, right? And, and all of them, they seem to have this personal connection with Jesus without thinking that Jesus was playing favorites. But I feel like they all thought he was their favorite. And that's really how God, that's how you should feel. You should be like, I, I'm God's favorite. Not in the sense of excluding, but you're just like, man, I just feel like God loves me because he does that much. But how do you know? How do you know if someone loves you? Give me something. How do you know if someone loves you? Yeah. No, no, no. For, for you personally. Like, how do you know? You're like, okay, this person loves me and this is how I know. You say kindness, right? So if someone's kind to you. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Time. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ver verbal affirmation. There's so many different ways, right? And I think one more than any is, is time because that's, that's undeniable that when someone chooses to spend their time with you, uh, that is a, a direct, um, right? Display of love. And he is the one who told them, follow me. He is the one who taught them and served them. And Jesus's love toward us is no different than his love towards them. That Jesus wants to spend time with us. He wants to pour into us that his love is possessive and complete. And that's an awesome thing. And Jesus, no doubt, did this with the disciples. And at this point, we see in verse 2 that, that Judas had already determined to betray Jesus. Look at verse 2 in your Bibles. It talks about how that, that the thought was already entered into the heart of Judas. We know from other gospels that there comes a moment where the Satan actually possesses Judas himself. And you're like, oh, how did that happen? What, then, oh my gosh. You see, Judas lived his life in a way that opened himself up to demonic influence. You're like, what, what do you mean? You see, Judas was very greedy, right? The Bible tells us that he had possession of the money box and he stole from it on a regular basis, meaning people would, would want to worship God, give towards the ministry of Jesus, and then Judas would take it and then go to In-N-Out and, and buy stuff. I mean, probably back then it was like falafel and things, but you get the idea, right? It's like, it's like if someone took the tithe box and, 
went to In-N-Out after, and, and that's what they spent. They spent people's worship money on that stuff. Very evil. And so he opened himself up in a way that allowed Satan to manipulate and do those kinds of things. And so we see that Judas is still here. And so for this next scene, don't think that Judas is gone. Okay? So number two, Jesus served them. We saw that Jesus loved them, and, and, and that was obvious for the years that he spent with them, and, and, and he considered them his own, even considered them friends. But we see here that Jesus examples this. He displays the love. We saw that verse one through three was the setting, but now we're going to see the scene. This is what takes place. Are you guys ready to read it? Verse four says that Jesus rose from supper, that's the last supper, and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing now or what I'm doing, you do not understand now but you will know after this. Verse eight, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered and said to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon responds and says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. And so, guys, get that Last Supper back in your mind, okay, that image. And probably you have a bad image, so throw that image away. Meaning that probably the image that comes to your mind is that long table with chairs, and they're all sitting on the same side, and they're like talking to one another. You're like, why aren't they on the other side of the table? Okay, that's not the scene. The picture is actually a table that's about a coffee table height, okay? So about, you know, maybe like that. And it would be in a U shape, most likely, okay? And the table would kind of go around so everyone can see each other, and they would actually be on the floor, There'd be like pillows and stuff for them to like kind of lean against. But that's the picture that we have here. And, and we don't know exactly when in the, in, the, in the Last Supper that Jesus got up and did this, but it was sometime uh, before, during, after the meal. We're, we're not really sure. But the Bible says that Jesus gets up from the table. Okay, now picture this, not with the tall table, but with the short one. He gets up and they're all looking at him. And, and the Bible says that he takes off his outer garment. It means he takes off kind of like his coat, or at that time, it would have been his robe. It would have been his tunic. And so he takes that off. He has clothes underneath, of course. And the Bible says that he sees a towel and he sees a wash basin. Basically, imagine a bucket with water in it, okay? So he takes a towel, he wraps it around his waist and he ties, you know, when you go to the beach, you like wrap it around. Um, and, and so he wraps it around and so he's got this towel around him. And the Bible says that he takes this bucket and he begins to go to each tw of the 12 disciples and begins to wash their feet. That he puts their foot in the bucket and he begins to, to wash them, all the dirt and grime off their feet. That towel with which he was, that he tied around his waist, he uses that to dry off their feet and the excess water. And he begins to do this. And you might say like, okay, what, what is going on? You see, at the time, Jesus was the leader and the teacher. They referred to him as Lord and Master. They followed him. They listened to him. But the picture that we have of Jesus here is that he sets aside his authority, in a sense, and he becomes the, in the position of, the, of a servant. And I say, like, I don't, just don't get it. Why did, why did he wash their feet? 
Um, well, uh, different cultures have different customs, right? Different things that, that they might do in their home. For example, you see, America's kind of weird because we're like a hodgepodge of a lot of different cultures, right? Because we have like, you know, something like 45 million immigrants here. And, and, you know, just we have a lot of different cultures in one place. And, but maybe you, maybe it's your house or you've been to someone's house. You know, when you go to someone's house and they do something different in their house than you do in yours? Maybe like for you, it's like fine to walk inside with your shoes off. And then you go to your friend's house and they're like offended that you try to walk in their house with your shoes on. Does that ever happen to you? I remember that happened to me when I was in junior high. Maybe your house is like, honestly, it makes sense. Like take off your shoes. You've been walking around like before you enter the house. Makes sense. I don't, I don't do that, but probably a good practice. But some cultures, it's like almost offensive if you walk into someone's house and, and you know, some even have house shoes. I know in Russia, uh, like you definitely take off your shoes like before you even enter, like you don't even go in the doorway. And then sometimes they'll have like house shoes for you and you can like wear them. And just different, right? It's like, that's foreign to me. Yeah, that's the point. It's different, different culture, different custom. Well, this is like 2000 years ago in ancient Middle East in Jerusalem. And back then people were very hospitable. Uh, and in Jewish culture, this was a huge thing that you were very hospitable. It means kind when someone comes into your home. Like you treat them like royalty and you treat them very well. And basically one of two things would usually always happen when you enter someone's home. That either one, there was a hired servant there to be able to wash your feet for you. And maybe if they had a little bit more money or there would at least at the minimum, there would be a wash basin for you to be able to wash off your feet. And you're like, but why? Well, for you and I, this sounds foreign, but back then they didn't have shoes like you and I have, right? They had flimsy sandals. And guess what? You and I now have something called pavement and asphalt and things like, and we have cars that we're able to drive to people's house. Back then they had a journey long ways on really dirt, rocky, gross roads. All right. And so they get to someone's house and they're like, their feet are filthy. And so one of the customs was that they would, they would do this. And honestly, it, again, it makes sense. It's the best interest of the owner. But the interesting thing about this is that normally, right, this is done before you come into the house. But this shows that uh, it wasn't just, uh, you know, Jesus trying to be hospitable. It wasn't his house. He didn't own it. And so it doesn't, it doesn't, he's not just trying to be hospitable. He is getting to a point. He is showing them something beyond just washing their feet as an act of hospitality. It's beyond them. He begins to wash their feet. And then you see that kind of funny interaction with Peter, right? We, we read it a moment ago. And there's this, there's this communication back and forth with Jesus and Peter. And, and Jesus gets to Peter and he's about to, you know, start washing his feet. And Peter's like, whoa. Jesus, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And he's like, I need to wash your feet. And, and then he's like, no, you shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus is like, well, then you can't have any part with me. And he's like, all right, fine, my head and my, and my you know, hands and everything else too. And it's kind of this funny interaction. And, but I want to point your attention to something. Look at verse 7 in your Bibles. In the middle of this interaction, Jesus says to Peter, he says, what I am doing, you do not understand now but you will understand or will know after this. I think it's a good word for you and I today. You see, oftentimes in the middle of Jesus doing something in our lives, we might question it. We might not get it fully. Oftentimes we don't get it in the moment. We might think, man, what, God, what are you doing? This, this doesn't make sense to me. This is not computing in my mind. And I think to some of us, 
God might want to speak this very thing, that you don't know what I'm doing now, but you'll know after this. So trust me. And I don't know if that's a word for anyone today, but it's something that we should keep in our back pocket for sure. But I'm sure all the disciples were, were tripping out at this point because the man that they've been following, the man that they call teacher, master, and Lord and rabbi is now doing something in a sense in that culture that he shouldn't be doing. That if anything, they should be washing his feet, but he's going around washing theirs. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, there's this conversation between James and John and even James and John's mom about who's gonna be the greatest in heaven. James and John try to get their mom to go talk to Jesus about uh, seeing if they could be on the right and left hand, the greatest position in heaven other than God himself. And Jesus says this, he's like, all right, guys, time out. He says, we need a group huddle here. He's like, you guys have the wrong perspective. And in Matthew 20, verse 25, it says, but Jesus called them together and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." You see, this was very contrary in that day, in that culture. Think about it 2,000 years ago. They had crazy kings and emperors who, when they had full power, they had other people serve them. But here we have Jesus, who is the very son of God, the creator of heavens and earth, and he's washing the feet of his creation. It was something so contrary to that day. And even for the religious leaders, the religious leaders were very prideful and, and, and pompous at that time, that they had other people serve them, but they didn't serve other people. And Jesus was known as a rabbi, rabbi, and he's doing something completely different. So what was this all about? Did Jesus think that their feet smelled bad, so he thought he'd wash their feet for them? Did Jesus like to wash feet? Oh, I, don't, I don't think either of those. What was the point of this display of service? Well, Jesus makes sure that they get it, that they understand and so third and final point for today is that Jesus taught them. He not only loved them, he not only served them, but Jesus loved them. Sorry, Jesus taught them. And we see this in verses 12 through 17. So Jesus taught them. Point number three. Verse 12, it says after he, so basically Jesus washes everyone's feet and then he puts his robe, his tunic back on and he sits back down with the disciples. In verse 12, it says this. He says this to them. He says, do you not know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so we first saw the setting, right? Then we saw the scene, but now we get to the subject. We get to Jesus explaining and expounding upon the lesson that he wants them to get. You see, he didn't just wash feet because he wanted to. He was doing it for a goal and he makes sure that they get it. And he sits back down and he says, do you know what I have done to you? And they're like, you washed our feet? 
And Jesus, that's not what Jesus is saying, right? He's saying, do you understand? Not just the what I did, you saw me do that, but the why I did it. You know, I love the nature of Jesus. The nature of Jesus is always to teach. He wants to teach us. He wants to show us. He wants to make sure that we get what he is saying. And so he says here, do you get it? Do you get what I did? And in times past, I'm sure you know, as uh, maybe if you're familiar with the gospels, that the disciples were often pretty slow at understanding, right? It took them a little, little, little time to get things at times, and they, they still didn't understand fully. But he says this, he, says, he talks about, he says, if you call me teacher and Lord, and I just wash your feet, the point is that you would then wash each other's feet, that he is the example. The word example that Jesus uses here, it means pattern or model. That Jesus has a very clear call to action that because Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, that you and I, as the disciples of Jesus, if that wasn't beneath Jesus, then it shouldn't be beneath us. Meaning you and I should wash each other's feet. And so Mark, if you want to go ahead and uh, get the buckets and bring them in here and the towels. Did you get the towels, Mark? Okay, sweet. Um, so you guys can start taking off your shoes. We're going to have a great, great time right now because the eighth graders, because they're your example, they're going to start washing uh, the seventh graders' feet. So if you have ticklish feet, you know, don't trip out. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Uh, but some, maybe sometime in the future. If you want to wash my feet after service, I'll let you, okay? But um, guys, the point that Jesus is driving home is not an act for them to repeat but a heart for them to have. Did you guys hear me? Let me say it again in, in what I wrote down. The act in and of itself was not necessarily to be repeated as much as the heart behind the act was to be displayed. It was the heart and not the act itself. You see, the heart behind the act was that Jesus was putting himself second. Did Jesus get anything out of washing the feet? No. Like, was there anything, he's not like, oh, I like feet, like I want to wash your feet. It wasn't anything that he was getting out of it. It's not like the disciples were like tipping him and he was like, oh yeah, I'm trying to make some extra bucks and going to the cross tomorrow. So no, no, it was none of that. It was a selfless act. Philippians 2, verse two through five says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus' mindset was others-focused. It was the mindset that he now wants the disciples, and he wants you and I to have, to serve sacrificially, to love unselfishly. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, that you and I are to be imitators of God and walk in love just as Jesus loved us. You know what it means to imitate someone? It means to do as they do. It's to, it's to maybe you know the word uh, mimic, right? Oh, he's mimicking me. He, yeah, he, he's, he, you know, he's doing what I do. Well, you and I are to mimic Jesus. We are to be an imitator of Christ. And we are to do that by serving one another. You know, one of the passages that came to mind to how to practically do this, because I'm like, okay, if we're not going to pull out the, the wash basins and we're not going to pull out the towels to wash each other's feet, then how do we do that? How do we do that practically? Well, I think it's interesting 
Because Ephesians chapter 5, you can note it down, Ephesians 5 verse 26 uh, says this, with the washing of the water by the word. Now the context is the, of this is that Paul is talking to those who are married. And he's saying how a husband should wash his wife with the water of the word. Now that doesn't mean that he's like blend up the Bible and like pour it on her head. Okay, that's not what he means. It means that he is supposed to speak scripture into her life. And by doing that, as water is cleansing, that the word of God will be cleansing to his wife. And it's a picture for us that you and I are to speak scripture into each other's life. And that doesn't mean you got to grab your Bible and be like, hey, I want to give you a verse and, and say the exact verse reference. You can talk about scripture without even necessarily, you know, giving a reference, but it's the concepts, it's the ideas, it's the principles, it's speaking scripture into each other's life. And that's washing each other with the water of the word. And so you might, we, I don't think we're necessarily supposed to wash each other's feet, but we are to wash each other with the water of the word by speaking into each other's life by this. You see, he set the example for us. He has set the tone. But the question is, will we follow? Will we do what he has done? And that's a really big if, right? And we're going to talk about in a moment when we break up into small groups, what this practically really looks like in your life. What does this look like? How do you wash your siblings' feet? I mean, without, without water, right? In this, in this, with this heart, heart and mindset. How do you, for you, seventh and eighth graders in this, this ministry that we have, how are you to wash each other's feet? How are you, uh, when you are on your sports team, how are you to wash the feet of, of those on your sports team? How are, you, how are you to do this? What does this look like? Well, I give you one, and that's speaking scripture. I think that's one of the parallels that, that scripture gives us. And we'll talk about the application in a moment, and you're going to collaborate and talk about what that looks like in your life. But there's an if here. Look at verse 17. And it's the last verse in the passage that we're covering. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Meaning, does the blessing come from the knowing or the doing? The doing. The knowing that, I mean, knowing it's nice. You see, what Jesus was doing for the disciples wasn't so that later on they could be like, hey, remember when Jesus washed our feet? That was great. That was good. Hey, we should, we should make a painting of when Jesus did that for us. Let's do that. No, it wasn't just about knowing what he did, but then it was about doing what he did. And so the blessing comes in the doing. You see, another word for blessing here is, is uh, being happy. That happiness comes when we do this. Joy and satisfaction in life comes when we do this. And it's the idea of having our minds and our focus not on ourselves, but on other people. I can tell you, if you only think about you, you are going to be a miserable person. You will not have lasting joy. You will not have fulfillment and satisfaction that I have found and based upon scriptures that when you begin to look at other people and, and see how you can serve them, see how you could speak into their life and whatever that might look like, that, God, that there is a blessing that comes from that and there is a joy that God gives from that. You know, over and over again, you see in the book of Deuteronomy that God says, I commanded you these things because it might be well with you. 
Jesus wants the disciples to do this, not because Jesus really hates when feet are dirty. And so he's like, I'm going to leave and you need to make sure to clean each other's feet. He's doing this because he knows the blessing that will come from it. He knows that he may, he's a creator God. And so he knows that he made you and I not to just focus on ourselves. That's when depression sets in. That's when we're bummed out. But when we begin to look at other people and, and how God might want to use us in their life, that's when God really begins to do his thing. And so, guys, God's, the blessing is in the doing. It's not enough just to know it. And so what we need to do today is determine to go and do these things. You're going to hear me say this over and over again. Eighth graders, you know, because you've heard it. God's way is the best way. Do you guys hear me? It is. And I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know if you're bummed out. I don't know if you're kind of like down lately. I don't know if you're full of joy. Either way, the Bible tells us that he who seeks to find his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for Jesus' sake will find it. What does that mean? It means when you start to get your focus and your eyes on other people, you're going to find your reason and purpose for being here. And it's not just to make you happy. And guys, this is a hard thing to implement. Uh, I never give you messages that I first haven't let God speak to me. And so over the last three or four days, I've been letting the the water of the word wash over me. And I've been like thinking about it. And think, okay, yeah, Lord, how, how does this look like? What does this look like to wash the feet of my wife? What does this look like to, to do this or to do that? And to, to, to actually do what you've asked me to do. What does this look like? And guys, it's hard. I don't know if it was more hard the last few days because I was like really thinking about it and really trying, uh, no doubt. But it was, it was difficult. And it is difficult. This is not something that comes naturally. Do you know why? Because who are you thinking about right now? you're probably thinking about you. And that makes sense. I mean, you might be thinking about me because you're looking at me, but you, you, know, what, you know what I mean? That, that we think our natural inclination is to think about ourselves. And that's why he has to set the example. That's why there's a goal for us to follow. And so James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And so we're going to get into some small groups right now. And for the purpose is so that we don't just hear the message and then leave and don't do it. This is so we can kind of be with one another, collaborate, talk about what this looks like in our life. So that when we leave and you go home and you go to lunch, you go take a nap, you go home and you play games with your family later, you can be thinking about this of, God, how can I wash my mom's feet? I know it sounds funny. How can I serve my little brother that's super annoying. God wants you to be doing this and there is a blessing that comes from it. And so you'll either do it or you won't and you'll miss out on the blessing. But I wanna encourage you guys, let's put this into application. All right.